0: This is Jason from Conveyor, and I want to introduce you to an interview where Conveyor's president and founder, Stephen Rhine, talks to Stephen Shapiro. Stephen Shapiro is an innovation instigator, Hall of Fame speaker and author. He's known for working with NASA, Nike and Johnson & Johnson, amongst others. His latest books are Best Practices are Stupid and Personality Poker. So the aim of this discussion was to get Stephen Shapiro to talk about changes in the world of business that require innovation. What's great about this dialogue is that they cover hindrances as well. Along with the problems that they talk about, simple solutions are offered. So I hope that you benefit from this conversation by applying the principles that are offered. Enjoy.
1: So, Stephen, like as leaders of a company, you know, we kind of have bifocals, right? Uh, We have to have bifocals. We have to think about the things currently, uh, drill down into the company, and think about the things that we need to change right now. And then we have to think. Uh, far off and look at the things that are coming. So, with what are some of the big changes in the world uh, that are are requiring us to think about innovation differently or change the way we approach innovation?
2: Well, I think one of the key things to understand is that uh, expertise can be the enemy of innovation. The more you know about your industry, your function, your discipline, the harder it is for you to think. Differently about it. And so what ends up happening is our past experiences lead us down the path of incremental innovation, which is critically important, but the problem is If we are only improving at an incremental level the world outside of our organization is changing at a much faster pace And so we're not able to keep up our incremental change will never be enough to keep us going in the right direction because we have new disruptive technologies and new disruptive economics that are going to impact every company, whether it's uh, technology such as 3D printing, AI or blockchain, or it could be uh, shifts in buyer expectations and behaviors, uh, such as the millennials and the the Gen Zs, but also just the fact that now you can order a package and have it delivered to your house in an hour. So all these things are shifting expectations. And if we're not staying on top of those disruptive technologies and those changing expectations, we're gonna be out of business.
1: So it's not, so much getting into a group or getting into a room and with the with the experts and talking about with their expertise right um
0: yeah, yeah i mean because
2: one of the things that we find is that if, if we are hanging around with people who are similar to us we will get high levels of successful innovation it just will tend to be again that incremental innovation and sort of those bifocals you were talking about look we need to focus on the present day we need to satisfy our customers needs today we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to meet those current expectations but the problem is those expectations are going to be different in the long term in the distance and if we're not shifting enough so that when we get to that future destination that time in the future when people have a different expectation. You're going to be like a, you know, a Sears or uh, a Toys R Us or one of these other companies that was uh, hugely successful. And now they're either gone or on life support.
1: All right. So that, that kind of leads into my next question, which was kind of, if you could fast forward, uh, fast forward in the future, see the winners and the losers. Okay. Uh, and then go look at what the winners, we already knew what the winners are. Uh, we could see the future, and we went and, go, went and looked at what they're doing in their meetings or their, or their groups. Um, what, are the, what are the winners' behavior right now, and what are, the, what are the behaviors of the, I hate to say losers, but what are, what are the people that are not getting it um, behaving like right now?
2: Well, I, th- I think it comes back to your bifocals. I, I really like that. You can't be uh, like the Red Sox just won the World Series go red sox (laughs) you you, you can't be hitting you know going up there and only you know looking for home runs because obviously you're going to lose if that's all you're going for so we need the singles the doubles the triples we need all of those types of things and so innovation is a portfolio of change and so the companies that uh, will be successful are the ones that recognize that embrace that and recognize that those uh you know, more discontinuous changes, the more radical changes can't be built in the mindset and the model that's been used in the past. So they need to fundamentally shift the way they think about innovation. Uh, The ones that are gonna struggle are the ones who, first of all, are complacent. They believe that what they've done in the past will lead to their success. It might be an ego thing because they believe we are big and successful and therefore, you know, we don't have to change they're going to be in trouble. It really is just about recognizing the fact that uh, whatever you think makes you great, made you great, doesn't necessarily make you great in the future. And we need to constantly be questioning everything that we're doing to make sure that we're staying relevant. Because at the end of the day, I know we use the word innovation a lot. But to me, the key is adaptability and relevance. We want to change in a way that makes us relevant in the eyes of the market. And that to me is the name of the game.
1: What is the default behavior you see, uh, you know, an organization or a department use when they have to solve a problem that requires, you know, some innovative uh, change? What's kind of like the, 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 the default, you know, the kind of just what people pick up over, over time and they say this is how we tackle a problem. What does that usually look
2: like? Yeah. So most of the time people do something like brainstorming. Uh, So they'll get people in a room with a flip chart and post-it notes. And the the problem that we have with most innovation efforts is they're focused on ideas and solutions, not on questions. So the default mechanism is, if you think about how most companies, when they say, let's go innovate, what they do is they create the equivalent of a suggestion box. Now, it might not be a physical box. It's probably, you know, a nice sophisticated computer system, but we're asking people for their opinion, suggestions, and ideas. So what ends up happening is we create a lot of wasted energy because if you look at a traditional suggestion box, we know that less than 1% of the ideas that are submitted into suggestion boxes have any value, which means that at least 99% of your time is spent focusing on work that doesn't create value. And that's not really what an organization needs to do. So the default mechanism is to focus on ideas, focus on solutions. We need to step back and ask better questions, more important questions, differentiating questions, questions that are gonna help us stand out and then reframe those questions in a way that we can unleash greater potential for innovation.
1: That's so true. Questions are basically creating the future. So the quality of your question, right? So um, this uh, friend of mine is in, involved in this, this concept of appreciative inquiry, right? So um, uh, the questions are like, uh, the value of a question and the words matter so much. For example, if I said, what's the problem here? How do we fix the problem versus how do we, if we could ma- wave a magic wand around this, right? So just just, just just the change in how people think when they're not thinking about the current status quo and how do we remove that status quo versus what it could be, uh, it's just amazing how those how do you how you stack up words can change the, the discussion, right? Totally. Uh, I
2: mean, and one word. One word can fundamentally change the direction of things. So, like when NASA they were trying to, you know, send people up into space, and one of the things they wanted to do is they wanted to get clothes clean. So if you think about what that means, it's about cleaning fluids and things of that nature. But you could go from how do we get clothes clean to how do we keep clothes clean. One word, we unleash a completely different range of potential solutions because now we're looking at a material science problem. We also know that changing the words, as you pointed out, can change our emotion, not just the types of solutions, but our feeling about the problem. And so we can shift emotion very easily, you know, like what should we be doing versus what we should not be doing? Adding that one word Mm. not can change emotion, but it also can fundamentally change the direction of the work
1: if you could if you could describe the the promise land, like the innovation promise land, right? and you've got uh, organizations accomplishing and getting uh, results as uh, as a as the result of changing the way they approach innovation, um, you know that portfolio of innovation. What does that look like? could you could you show it you know, explain to us some some things um, that you've seen or from your experiences working with your customers uh, that you've seen that that have just been demonstrably better because of the practices they've put into place.
2: Right, so when you ask the question about default methods, the default approach is what I'd call idea-driven innovation. So it's about that suggestion box mentality. So what I suggest companies focus on is something called challenge-centered innovation. And basically we're flipping the entire process upside down. Idea-driven innovation, basically, if you think about it as a funnel, ideas come in at the top, Most of those aren't good. So now we have to go evaluate them and eliminate the ones that we don't want to do. And now the next step is we have to take the ideas that we like, and we need to somehow find somebody who's going to sponsor it and fund it. So we are wasting a lot of energy, a lot of time, and even the good ideas often wither on the vine. So challenge-centered innovation says we're not starting with ideas, we're starting with questions. We're starting with important questions, differentiating questions, well-framed questions. And before we spend any time trying to find a solution to the question, to the problem, we make sure we have the owner, sponsor, funding and resources. We have evaluation criteria that allows us to be objective. When we find a good solution, we have everything in place to move forward. And it also allows us to look externally for solutions, not just internally like most suggestion boxes operate. And what we've seen is when you use this challenge-centered mindset, you will increase innovation ROI a minimum of tenfold over traditional methods because you eliminate the wasted energy, you speed up the process, and you're finding solutions and implementing solutions at a much greater pace.
1: Wow. Okay, so is it more of a, a uh, let's all align on the problem or let's all align on on uh, the challenge first. Um, if we align on that, then the ideas will, will come as a result. Um, maybe, so instead of this, uh, hey, we have this great idea, it, it managed to get through the, uh, Fermi barrier, so to speak. And then you've got this one idea. Now you have to campaign for that idea. You have to go around campaigning when everybody's going like, what problem is this solve? What's the challenge? You know, so it's a little bit, I could see how flipping it around, giving everybody to understand the challenge um, for now or in the future. uh, And then coming up with that, yeah, it's great. so I, you don't need me to tell you it's great, but you understand
2: <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, well, that's great. I just so, want, I just want to say you know you're you're spot on there because what you're basically saying is if, and it improves collaboration. Ideas we don't tend to collaborate around ideas. Right. I've got an idea and I go off and I pursue it and I try to promote it, and I try to sell it, uh, but with challenges which are issue problems or opportunities. We can now collaborate around those. So everybody can look at the problem from a different lens, different angle. Okay, well, what's the financial implications of this problem? What are the operational implications of this problem? What are the production challenges associated with this problem? So we can look at it from all those different angles and now increase the collaboration and the acceleration of our innovation. Would you say
1: that that focusing on challenges first is more objective in that, An idea, you can kind of construe the problem to meet the idea, Uh, whereas a challenge focused um, first, uh, everyone can understand where that challenge applies to them in their position.
2: Yeah, because look, we always, in, in organizations, we've always said, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. But look, we can find solutions very quickly when you use a specific methodology that I have. But it's the problem that is the actual challenge. I mean, coming up with the right question is much more difficult than people think, and it's a combination of art and science. And so what happens is when you have ideas, it quite often is my personal opinion of what I think will be valuable, as opposed to looking at it from a bigger picture and trying to determine this really is important. Now, one of the problems that you run into is you need to make sure that the people who are asking the questions aren't the experts. So we do have to have a process to recognize that if expertise is the enemy of innovation, then the types of questions we will naturally ask are going to be past-based questions. So what we need to do is also look externally for help with framing future-based questions. How do we need to be positioned in the future, and how do we, and, and what specifically do we need to have in place in order to make that successful?
1: That's great. A well, uh, question about: uh, Are you seeing a change in the hierarchy or the politics of innovation in companies? And, you know, maybe in the past uh, we'd have more of a top-down approach, right? So we'd have um, we'd have you know, give me all of your ideas, and then you have a you know, select few at the top, kind of sifting through those ideas, and then again another cycle of you know, we're gonna we're gonna tell you. You know, what we're doing based off of those ideas.
2: I mean, look, in, in some respects, there are still some things which are a little bit top down. I mean, look, ideas are still an attempt, and that's Innovation 1.0. Ideas are still an attempt to get everybody engaged. So we are at least, it's not like saying the top is saying, these are the things we need to do. Now go execute. That would be a top down approach. Mm-hmm. At least with ideas, we're saying, well, we want your ideas and we will choose the ones that we think are best. Uh, and that's, the reality is it's almost always going to be that way to some degree. The question is, who is determining what is best? So as I said, there's evaluation criteria for every challenge, but we also have evaluators. And we need to be careful in selecting the evaluators so that confirmation bias doesn't set in, and we're now only choosing you know, ideas or solutions to the questions that fit our mental model. So the evaluation process is important, and it's not voting. We could talk a long time about why voting doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> it is really something fundamentally different uh, that we need. So I do see organizations allowing this to happen. Uh, and it, you know, a lot of it is just recognizing that there's value that comes from anyone and everyone in an organization. And it's not just the, the few people who are in the laboratories with the long white coats that yeah, are the yeah. smart ones. It's everybody needs to contribute, but they need to be contributing in the right way in the right place.
1: Yeah. If you're, if you're coming to an organization, what's a, maybe a counterintuitive thing that they might see that they're not used to?
2: Uh, I think a lot of the things are actually counterintuitive. So, f- for example, most people say think outside the box. That's, that's sort of the default definition of innovation. Mm-hmm. The reality is, and we can dig as deep as you want into this, when we create levels of abstraction in a problem, which basically means thinking outside of the box, we actually reduce the quality and the relevance of the solutions. So it's not about thinking outside the box. The goal is to find a better box. So if mm-hmm. we're spending time trying to get clothes clean, we might not be thinking about how to keep clothes clean. If we're focused on you know, what feature should we add, we might not be thinking about what feature should we remove. So these subtle changes that different box not a bigger box or outside the box but a different box will be the key to unleashing because as we make them too abstract we actually reduce the quality of our innovation efforts
1: wow i never thought about that if you think about it like plotting it on a, on a graph you know you could be pointing and looking down at this thing and saying oh this is this is the this is the thing we need to get really far away and get very abstract about this this uh, this problem here and you're looking here when really the opportunities over over in this area um, and and so you're trying to get further and further away and think of it more um, you know in a more esoteric way or something like that and like you're saying you might be distancing from the actual implementation is that what right. you're kind of saying?
2: yeah okay. it, it, it reminds me of an old joke. I mean basically you know the, walking around the street one late at night you're walking around you see somebody like under a street lamp looking around for something you go up to him say okay well, what what would what, what you doing He "Oh, I'm looking for my keys It's like oh is this where you lost them? It's like, no, I, I lost them over there, but the light's good over here. And that's what we tend <laughs> to We tend to focus where the light is and the light might be our past experiences or our understanding or our area of expertise, but right. the solution is actually gonna be somewhere else. And we need to make sure we're looking somewhere else to get to those solutions.
1: Wow, and that comes back to that expertise thing. Sometimes we, get, we hit that 90% and we're drawing on just the experts, right? And so there's these large kind of low hanging fruit in some other area, but we don't actually, that's not in our culture or it's not part of our expertise. And so we're not actually looking at at either, like you said, outside or inside. Are we looking outside for ways to solve problems in this area? That's so great. Well, so one area, big area for, for, for us, you know, for me is uh, helping organizations, um, you know, figure out how to do uh, training in a better way, you know, how to engage train and influence their people uh, with with Conveyor. And uh, what I found is, you know, we we tout the idea of, you know, being objective about the training. So rather than building abstract knowledge, where you're simply just, um, you know, putting things in a knowledge base and saying, hey, if you need this resource, go find it. Uh, Think in terms of, uh, you know, backfilling what you actually need. So if you look at, think of it more like a marketing campaign, okay, assume you don't have a captive audience assume that you have to re-engage them every day and um, what do I need you know if you think about it as a funnel I need this new behavior I need a behavior in a certain spot how do I create that behavior we're obviously having a a funnel drop in this behavior in this position or in this division of the company and that's really hard you know when you think about how, how do you drive a new behavior and how do you um uh, it could be simple as just surfacing the, the, the training that they need, but I want to be able to uh, have customers have a way to think about ways they could innovate on driving a new behavior, right? Um, and so really, like you said, what's the challenge? You know, what's the challenge here? And then how do we come up with ideas to solve that, that challenge, that problem, um, rather than the typical, like, I have content, I'm going to throw it in. And if it, you know, we'll see, we'll throw it up against the wall and see if it helps, you know, solve this problem over here. I just want to create a, a way for, uh, you know, they have the tools, you know, they have the, the easel, right? Um, but they, they need uh, a better way of constructing uh, uh, the, the, the problem and then coming up with a solution. So, wondering if you, know, you, you built the 30 day innovation challenge on Conveyor, it's fantastic, has great success. And I'd love to hear what you, how you thought about that problem, right, uh, in, in terms of your business and, and, and what you decided to do to solve that problem and how you approached the innovation you know, with that. So uh, maybe if you could just go through a little bit about uh, you know, your background as, as a professional speaker, CSP and trainer, why you built the 30 day innovation challenge, and then what you maybe some, some some tips or some ways you could offer um, to help our customers listening to this.
2: Right. So, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, one of my innovation frameworks, in fact, it's uh, in the first chapter of my latest book. Uh, I, I talk about there's three levels of innovation. There's innovation as an event. There's innovation as a process, and then there's innovation as a system. So innovation as an event is the suggestion box. It's ad hoc. It's unpredictable. We innovate when somebody has an idea. Innovation as a process is where there's a start and a finish. It starts with a question and it ends with the implementation of value. And system is where it's part of our DNA. And when I looked at the profession of speaking, it's 100% innovation as an event. It's all about the event, it's all about the conference, it's all about the speech, I leave the speech, boom, thank you, mic drop, everybody's happy. But they're not, because innovation as an event is the lowest level of innovation. So what I started to think about was how do we use the event as not the end, but rather the start of a process? Mm -hmm. And so I had a client, I mean, you and I have been working together for ages now on this, and I had a client who said, look, we, we get people together, these executives together for a week. They leave the week. We've tried anything and everything to keep them engaged after they leave. Nothing has worked. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to figure something out and came up with a design for the 30 day innovation challenge, which is basically uh, gamification with questions and videos, short, 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 micro learning. I mean, it takes less than 90 seconds a day. So what would happen is I leave the stage And everybody in the audience would get an email or text message, depending on how they signed up. And then in that would be a question about something that I talked about or something I didn't have time to talk about, but is important. And they will get points based on how accurately and how quickly they respond. And then once they get it right, up pops a video and then there's a leaderboard. Here's what we found is when we used this approach of gamification and just 90 seconds a day, we went from no participation to 95% participation each and every day for 30 days by busy executives who in the past would never have done anything and so i think it's the combination of the brevity the competition you know even though they got a prize the prize was like a 50 dollar kindle i mean it was nobody was going to spend any amount of time trying to get a 50 dollar kindle but to be in the top of the leaderboard at the end of the 30 days and bragging rights it made a huge difference. And then what's also really cool with this then is you can now start diagnosing where are there are gaps in knowledge. Like where do they struggle? What questions were they struggling with? Then you can go back and say, you know, 30% of the people struggled with this question. Here are some tools that might be beneficial or here's, you know, maybe we need to dig a little deeper into this and diagnose what's actually going on here. So it's not just a gamification tool. It's also a diagnostic tool that becomes very powerful.
1: Yeah, the, the concept of learner trust is one that we throw around and with the short brevity of the videos, right, where you're backfilling the right answer um, and the, the fact that it's, it's, it's not a lot of time in each day, but you're keeping top of mind, right? You're keeping that, that dialogue going. Um, this concept of learning trust and not breaking that. There's so many other places where we get content where it's like, oh, that's going to be a, you know hour long video or that's a, that's a you know, 15 minute, 20 minute blog post, right? Um, that I really feel like uh, we just you just nailed it with the really short micro learning format Uh, and and the fact that leaderboard uh, the the, this kind of social engineering there with uh, with the fact that you know it's a $50 Kindle but yet these these people are hopping in and and checking out the leaderboard constantly to see where they're at I just love it so What would you say? If I could just
2: add one one other quick thing with this too, is I think the other thing which really works about is if you think about traditional uh, e-learning, the way most e-learning platforms operate is we teach you something and then we quiz you when you're done. And we've almost flipped it on its head because instead of showing you the video and saying, what did you learn from the video? We ask you the question. It might've been something I talked about during speech. But it might not have been because the 30 questions, we don't have enough time to cover all of it. So we flipped it on its head. So we're testing your current knowledge on the topic. And then only when you get it right, do we show you the 60 second video that tells you why that was the right answer and the other ones were wrong. And it's a fundamentally different way in mm-hmm. terms of the way you engage people. So it's, it's a, just so many different ways. It's different.
1: Yeah. So you nailed, uh, you nailed it on, the, on this concept that uh, we have always thought of testing as a measurement tool rather than a learning tool. So that's why we have so much conflict in in schools and everything about the concept of testing sometimes because they think of it only as measurement, okay? So learn all this content and then I'm gonna send you this quiz afterwards and I'm gonna measure whether you learned it. So we remember things best right before we're gonna forget them, right? It's science. Um, So the concept of, of having them test themselves makes them remember just from the very, if you never measured it, there was no leaderboard, there's still benefit in running it as, uh, as the challenge, right, as the, as the challenge question format. So, yeah, it just, it's, that's great. I've, if you were gonna say, uh, if, if you were gonna give some tips, without going out, of course, you know, this is, without somebody coming on site, right? Uh, having you come on site and, and building a challenge with them or building, building courseware with them, what would be some good questions, right? Around, uh, around formulating um, the next uh, training or course or engagement for, the, for their people. Could you help us, help, us, uh, help my customers, right? Um, think of ways they can, they can tackle this problem, right? Because they get this, again, they get this great tool with Conveyor to build content, um, but they need to wait, think of ways to say, okay, here's our challenge. Um, I know, I know you can't say it all in, in, in one video, right? It's a lot, right? But maybe maybe it's resources. Maybe you could say, hey, I would highly recommend checking out this resource and then using that lens to think about your training, okay? I'd recommend w- my book on this. Read this book and then you'll have a better understanding. Um, walk me through that, through that process. What would you say to our customers?
2: Sure, and, and I think it's less an innovation question and more of an education question. And so mm-hmm. as you know, I'm, I'm using Conveyor for a new product that I've launched called innovation intervention. And basically uh, what we do with that is it's a little different than the 30 day innovation challenge, which was sort of that short burst. This is a deep dive eight week long program. And one of the things which I found uh, in putting people through it and learning what's working and what's not working is that uh, the, the key is to have people feel engaged. So most of the time when we do these types of courses, you know, e-learning course is just pumping out content and it's a one-way conversation with maybe a quiz. This is a two-way dialogue. So each week there is a, I call it a deliverable because I come from the world of consulting. So there's a deliverable that has to get created. And so the person who's going through the process, the program creates the deliverable. We give them all the templates and the tools for it. And then they submit it to me and I evaluate it. And I don't evaluate it like with a red pen, but I say, hey, this is great. Have you considered this? What about that? Now it's a high touch approach, but I find that it gives people an incredible amount of value that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So that sort of giving them a mission, something they need to go do with their team, knowing that there's accountability somewhere on the back end of it, whether it's submitting it to me or something else uh, it could be submitting it to somebody else in the team. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Having that accountability for specific deliverables, I think, drives learning as opposed to, hey, here's content, here's content, here's content. Go figure out what you're going to do with it.
1: So, if um, if someone wanted to really to start understanding, um, you know, how they can influence their organization around innovation, okay, um, and start practicing the way way you you say they should be practicing, where should they start?
2: The easiest thing is my book, Best Practices Are Stupid. Uh, That's probably the first place. It's basically just 40 bite-sized tips on how to create a culture of innovation. Uh, and so there are topics in there around asking better questions. There's topics around there on differentiation. There's topics around breakthrough thinking and how do you shift your mindset? And there's topics around testing experimentation and their relationship to failure. So look, innovation isn't the same as creativity. And I think this is an important point. You know, I think creativity is actually killing innovation. I think we have spent so much time focused on quantity of ideas. Every idea is a good idea that, We're we're imploding from the weight of all of this wasted energy. We want laser focus. We want to innovate where we differentiate. We want to focus on what matters most and put our innovation energies there. And so the process that I lay out inside of best practices are stupid is a good starting point. And then I have other tools, whether it's my 22 lenses for reframing challenges, which you can get on my website, or innovation intervention, which is going to be the deep dive into uh, innovation over a course of an eight-week period.
1: That's fantastic. Stephen, I really appreciate uh, your time. Thanks for walking through uh, my questions here. Uh, I really look forward to applying your concepts uh, to help my customers.
2: Yeah, and I just want to thank you for everything you do because Conveyor is, is a phenomenal platform. There are things that I do that I could never do anywhere else. And so I just I want to thank you for everything you've done, your responsiveness, uh, it, it's just it, it's a beautiful platform it does so much and I think uh, the challenge is knowing which pieces to use so thank you for yeah. that <laughs> thank you Steven all right take care
1: all right take care bye-bye
0: hey thanks for listening in on this discussion between Stephen Rhine from Conveyor and Stephen Shapiro from Stephen Shapiro for more information about Stephen Shapiro visit Stephen Shapiro or find him on Twitter by searching for his handle at Stephen Shapiro be on the lookout for his upcoming book, Invisible Solutions. For more information about Stephen Rhine and Conveyor, visit Conveyor.com. You can also check out Conveyor's podcast, Conveyor on Learning and Development, by going to podcast.conveyor.com. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. You can also find Stephen Rhine on Twitter by searching for his handle, at S. Again this is Jason from Conveyor. Until next time, keep up the good work.